everybody, and welcome back to Season 7 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. If he's a 406, he's got all the sequelizer equipment. <laughs> That's a beautiful podcast. <laughs> uh, are we just... I mean, I'm the host, so it kind of makes sense if I'm a host. Ooh. Right? Oh. I am your host, as always. And I always do a very, like, programmed mm. intro there. You so are maybe very robotic. That explains a lot. And we have been having sex. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us, as always... It's Tim Matum. Don't you recognise me? I won the big bundle. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some pretty pretty good references, but if people don't know the thing we're referencing, I don't think they'll get it, if that makes sense. No, of course not. I think they're, so. they're, they're a neat little... I think a lot of the things we touch upon are like kind of cultural touchstones and very famous quotes and, and silly things like that. But weirdly enough, the films we're talking about in this episode, I feel aren't as well known as some of the other ones we've covered and they're more famous because of what has happened recently and we'll get into that in a moment mm. because the film we're fixing today is 1976's Future World which is the sequel to 1973's Westworld which the recent TV show <laughs> is based <laughs> is based on but not in the same canon as mm. or is it because of Yul Brenner robots in the basement at one point <laughs> And this episode is actually a Patreon pick by one of our executive producers, who you, I'm sure you've heard on previous episodes mentioned mm. before. And uh, that leads us quite nicely into our Patreon executive producers. So let's kick things off with the man who picked Future World for his pick for this season, Mr. Stuart Main. Thank you for your pick, Stuart. We'll certainly be getting to the other ones later on, but... I'm excited to talk about this one. Mm. But the other men who've got picks coming up later this season, Mr. Jonathan Firth-Clark. And last but certainly not least, and I think a lot of listeners already know what this man's pick. <laughs> they predicted what's coming up later on in the season. <laughs> it's Mike Salvia. And if you'd like to be like those three and join us on our Patreon, you can get to vote on some episodes for future seasons. You get to get exclusive merch discounts, exclusive merch, physical posters, all kinds of lovely stuff. You can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. And we have a variety of different tiers and different benefits. There's even some bonus content. There's outtakes and an extra little quiz thing that we did, all exclusively for Patreon. And you're missing out if you're not on there. So if you were <laughs> able to support us, I know times are difficult at the moment. We're all feeling the pressure of a second lockdown here in the UK and all that kind of shit. But if you are available and able to support us, we'd very much appreciate it if you can go to our Patreon and support us on there. Yeah, we thank those support very, very much. People probably know the, the like iconic image of the man in black, the, the bald cowboy mm. with the gun. Is the Oh, it's the guy from Magnificent Seven, huh? He's dressed like this, the same guy from Magnificent Seven. It's literally the same wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> black shirt, black hat, and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like not that many people, especially of our generation, sort of, you know, people in their 30s and stuff, have actually seen the original Westworld or Future World, and especially Future World. I feel like 
I didn't really have Future World on my radar until we started coming up with the lists for this mm. series. And as a whole, I mean, not just this season, but it's been on the list since day one, pretty much. But knowing of the TV show and knowing, oh, yeah, it's based on this old film. And then people going, oh, thank God they're not doing Future World because Future World's a piece of shit. And I was like, <laughs> right, put it on the list. That's mm-hmm. that's a thing. That's a sequelizers thing. I um, think it's, uh, it's legacy but, and impact is more important, as it were, than the actual. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, I think, because it's it has had a lasting legacy, but it's been, again, kind of filtered through different things. And I know I talk about this all the time with my constant Simpsons referencing, but like it's had influence on things that have then gone on to have influence on other yes. things. And it's not necessarily like the the immediate touch point for a lot of people to be like, oh, this is where this comes from. And the obvious example, tying to Michael Crichton before we get onto him a little bit more, is Jurassic Park and stuff like that, mm. where the park goes wrong and like, oh, where does that trope come from? Michael Mm. Crichton. I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But before we get into all of that, we're all men in our thirties. Now I've I've now joined you both in in the the thirties, as it were. I'm so sorry. Welcome. I hope you enjoy sore muscles and aches. (laughs) I'm looking forward to all the joint pain and disappointment and everything that comes with it. Mm. I guess because these films are both seventies films and Often, you know, a lot of the films we cover in the the 90s, the 2000s, more our kind of era of being conscious and being aware of what's in the cinema and all that kind of stuff. Especially for me, as you know, I'm terrible for going back and actually watching the classics and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I hadn't seen either of these films until we did it for this um, for this season. What was your first exposure to Westworld? I'm intrigued. And I, I guess, Matt, I'll, I'll bounce to you first. Like, did you... Because I, like I said, I first, I think I'd heard about it before, mm. but really got into the TV show and then knew we were going to do this for this season. So I've kind of like seen Westworld and Future World in preparation for this episode. Sure, sure. Had you already, I assume you'd already seen them. You're Matt Stogden. Like, <laughs> I've seen everything. Um, yeah. So what, <laughs> this Next should question. have been a bridge. <laughs> this should have been a bridge. I mentioned this before in previous episodes that as a child growing up, I liked science fiction and my father liked Westerns. And growing up in Britain, you'd get a Saturday or a Sunday TV thing and there'd be so many fucking boring westerns from the 50s and 60s. And they're not bad films, obviously. I understand that now as an adult. But when you're a child, you're like, this is boring. Mm. I like Star Wars, that kind of thing. You know, I like a Star Trek film. I don't want to watch this. You know, I don't understand about frontier justice and, and life on, on, on in a desolate, barren world. Oh, wait, no, that's, that's science fiction. I do like this. I just don't realize the packaging. <laughs> Um, and also they're, they're old films. They look old. They looked old in the fucking eighties mm. and nineties. So I didn't chime with that either. And that's if they were in fucking color. Anyway, sp- sp- spaghetti Westerns as much. As I really love those. and really got on with those were not really on TV much in Britain mm. for obvious reasons. So Westworld could have been a great thing where it's part of what my father's world and my world and sunk up together and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's not how it really went, which is weird. Westworld, I don't really remember it being on TV at all, right? really. Mm. I don't it, remember it being no. a thing. Because like I've, I mentioned it before, my dad's love of Westerns is what mm. got me mm. into watching cinema as a kid. I watched Bond and I watched the spaghetti Westerns with my dad. Yeah, And you would think, and my dad's a huge sci-fi guy, so he's a huge Trekkie. You'd think this would robot fucking cowboys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And I fucking loved Jurassic Park when I was a kid. It, it's ticking all the boxes for both me and my dad. Mm. And 
like my experience growing up and learning about film and understanding cinema and different directors and actors and all this kind of stuff, it never once crossed my path and I don't know why. Mm. It's weird. I feel like it should be right up my fucking alley, but That's I don't the- know why it's not. And my dad was a teenager when it came out. Like it, it, it all lines up perfectly, but for whatever reason, it just never... I don't know. Was it never in like for whatever the equivalent of UK syndication is? Like, was it never on like the you know? The no, it was. Saturday it was on like Turner Classic Movies and, and stuff. stuff. It was available. We 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 had access to it in this country, but you had yeah. to have like a Sky or cable package kind of thing to yeah. find it. Yeah. Um. I think for me, I remember I first heard the term Westworld once I saw Jurassic Park, and I was like nine years old, and um, it's like oh he's the guy that did this, and oh he directed. You know, Mike Crichton directed this. And you're like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, he wrote different books. And then I think Congo came out a couple of years after. I said, oh, he also did this. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that sort of sent me on a bit of a tangent into trying to find videos Congo. of things. And I found, uh, was it The Great Train Robbery he directed? I rather enjoyed that. Um, and Westworld. And I thought, oh, it's a cowboy thing. Ugh. <laughs> it's like, no, it's cowboy robot. Okay. <laughs> and I think it might have been parodied in The Simpsons at that point. So I might have been in a Jack like moment, uh, aware of it that way. Um, There's definitely a Simpsons parody, and it's definitely my first awareness of Westworld <laughs> was through that. It's a itchy yeah. and scratchy land. Uh, episode. Oh, that makes complete yes, sense. Yeah. The and faces so I fall off and all that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I saw the film. I rather enjoyed it. Um, but I think I saw it at the same time as watching other 70s science fiction films like, like Logan's Run and stuff where everything looked and felt 70s, basically. And like Space Odyssey and that mm. kind of stuff, in the, even though it's late 60s. Um, and then I um, watched Future World in a sort of very completionist bit of arrogant mindset of in the in my you mid-20s. completionist about <laughs> films, man. It's like, I've heard no. shit things, and I don't want to watch it, but I will. And I did, and I didn't like it. Um, we'll go back to why later. Spoiler alert, everybody! <laughs> it's crap. Spoiler alert! It's a Patreon pick, but I'm not happy because it's the best movie I've ever seen. Um, no, Westworld is a very, very underrated movie. I, I, I remember it. It should have made more of an impact, but it didn't. That's the weird yeah, thing. I, just, I don't. For me personally, it's well, it's weird. I think it. It is. Um, because this was my first time watching it. Like, literally, yesterday, I watched Westworld and Future World for the first time. Same. Wow, wow. Same here. And I I think it's... You can spot its influence in so much. Um, you know, I know that he, the gunslinger in it was kind of part of the inspiration for the Terminator. Yes. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, he's... Neil Brenner's like a proto-Terminator in entirely. the first one, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Um, it's obviously... There's obviously the Westworld TV series now. The thing that really jumped out at me that I hadn't made the connection with before, but is actually, like, incredibly obvious when you think about it, uh, was how much it looks like Cabin in the Woods. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> and the fact that... Yeah. Funny enough, I recently rewatched that as well. <laughs> especially the fact that the protagonist, like heads down underground and finds his way kind of backstage, so to speak, towards yeah. the end. And, you know, and, oh, like, the, all the all the staff who work there are dead and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that it works better as a concept than it does as an actual film, which I think is largely down to Michael Crichton's direction. Um, yeah. Because 
<laughs> there's a, a fun running theme for these first two episodes between Blade Trinity, Westworld, and Future World. You have <laughs> a series of incredibly untense foot chases. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I thought you meant writers turned directors, but sure, that yes, as well. that's the other thing. Yes, <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like the the tension of him being chased uh, of the main character Peter being chased down by by the gunslinger it never makes it quite as tense as it should be. Um, and I think it's unfortunate because it's such a great, it's such a rich concept. And and I think it's why it has been revisited and why in this age of prestige television, they've thought this is the perfect thing to kind of come back and look at because it's so thematically rich with the, like these ideas of like okay artificial intelligence and identity and colonialism and you know how mm. we grapple with the past and all these kind of things um are right there and i think the film doesn't quite get its hands around them as well as it could um and part of that might just be its age in that you know it does have that very 70s flavor to it and yeah. you know we're used to stuff that that has a little bit more punch to it, but um, yeah, I, I as good as it is and as influential as it is, sort of, I can understand why I hadn't seen Westworld before today. That makes sense. I think, I think just to bring a bit a bit of the history into it. Um, so Michael Crichton, I find a fascinating writer, author, shall we say, um, in that every time he writes something that's either turned into a script or writes a script itself or whatever it is. The thing that audiences and studios pick up on is not the thing he's trying to talk about. <laughs> um, and that when you go back as an, uh, whatever you want to say, a mature person, older person, uh, more seasoned, filmically aware person, you go, fuck, I'm actually more interested in this character in this scenario than I am what I was when I was a kid. So case in point, he was writing the idea for Westworld as a book, then thought, no, it's not going to work visually. I think I need to do this as a script or something and try to ship it around. No one took it. Then MGM finally picked it up and so on. And I think that's interesting because the thing to, to mention about being very seventies and the direction stuff, I think Crichton does a good job. A lot of the time it looks very, you know, cliche now because obviously, you know, tropes upon tropes upon tropes. Mm. I kind of, you know, it did something really, really, uh, avant-garde of a time, very, very new and bold with the idea of the, the gunslinger's vision. It's not mm. just like some sort of filter. It's actually filmed digitally as a computer would see. Yeah, it's that, really, that, really... Th that was groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, and... that, that's the first time that had ever been done. Precisely. And and this film is on a really tight budget as well. Yeah. I was amazed because I did some um, did some research into like how it was made and watched a few like behind the scenes clips and yeah. stuff as we yeah. often do. And they were like, it was made on like a one point two million dollar budget. <laughs> I'm like. What? Yeah. I, I know it's the seventies, so that you know that money goes a long, long way compared to what it mm. did, would do now. But then they were like, "Oh, this is the first time they use like three D rendering technology in a feature film." And I'm like, "What? On a on a million dollar budget, basically?" Like, oh yeah, the hand like animation thing is like one of the first times. Is that uh, future world? In, that's yeah, in future, in future world. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's in, in future fact, world. Yeah, that is a future Pixar animator's hand that you are yes. seeing. <laughs> Correct. Yes. So yeah. weird. Yeah. And these these two films that he said that don't seem to have that much influence, like directly, have pioneered all this stuff. You get the cool pixelated gunslinger mm, stuff mm. in the first one. You get the first three D hand in the second one. You're like, but but 
how? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is so weird. How have they not had... I mean, we, we've talked about Avatar as well, James Cameron's Avatar before, yes. where it's like, the biggest film in the history of the world. Can you name two characters? <laughs> Most people go, uh, is, it, is his name Sam Worthington? It's like, that's the actor, <laughs> yes. Um, can you name thing? Um, uh, uh, oh, loaf, it's, it's like, loaf, like, bread loaf. Like that's his name. John <laughs> or Bob or something. Yeah, loaf. And and oh, there's there, oh, there's the there's the blue one. There's the blue one. Um, oh, and there's that guy. There's that guy with that with the hair. Uh, no, I can't. It's like, how is this film so huge and it has no almost no cultural yeah. impact and no like it it had no references outside of people taking the piss basically mm -hmm. and i feel like these are kind of the same like they feel like they had a very small impact until you start diving down and saying oh no the impact from this was on the creator of this film or this book mm, or this thing or whatever and you then see kind of like almost like a, a butterfly effect of oh they they used this technology and this thing and that caused this next filmmaker to then take that technology and do this in this next project and all that kind of stuff. It's really interesting how these two films in the seventies have kind of disappeared into obscurity until what, 40 years later, the TV show digs all this shit out and they're like, Hey, by the way, here's a thing. Like, where's, why does that name ring? A why bell? does that ring a bell? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Westworld. That's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's that's a neat little title. Where have they got that from? Oh, 1973. <laughs> That's what they've got. How weird. And yeah, it just feels like, I know I'm kind of belaboring the point at this point, but like, it, it just blows my mind how groundbreaking and interesting, and as you said, Tim, an interesting concept this thing mm. is, and how little impact it then went on to have like directly. And, and the box office was fine. Mm. It didn't set the world on fire. It did quite well in home video and stuff, apparently, because that, that mm. was kind of the, the peak of the, it, yeah. yeah, the peak of well, like the early VHS days and stuff like that. Like, well, even before that, and yeah, they made like on a budget of one point two million. The first one made like ten million, and then another five million on home video, and that was like that's a huge success. I'm like, yeah. I guess I, I'm I'm coming at it from a, like a lens of 2020 where we're talking in the billions now. <laughs> yeah, if if it doesn't make a billion dollars, it flopped. You're like, yeah, ah, that's that's the new, you know, the goal the goalposts have very much moved <laughs> over the last 45 years. Well, I think I think it makes for a fascinating example because there are certain aspects of it that I think have become embedded in culture, not just in the way they influence, but but actually as iconic things. I think that image of the man in black and the robot where you've got like the, the, the lines around the, the outside, lines. the yeah. seams of his face. Those images, like I as someone growing up who had not seen Westworld until yesterday, like I knew those images and I knew yep. the Absolutely. concept behind Westworld. But it's I think it's it's a sign that it had such a strong concept but the execution was a little bit flawed in that, like, nobody knows dialogue from Westworld. There is no quotable dialogue uh, that you can point to. The main characters aren't particularly... Like, the human main characters aren't particularly engaging. Um, I think it's it's one of these things where the nugget of the idea is really, really good, and that's that sustains it, but it doesn't have the rest of the, the kind of qualities that are needed to make it the cultural juggernaut that, you know... And when you look at where this happens, you know, this is, what, four years before Star Wars takes off, you yeah, know, it yeah. could easily, you know, with a little bit of more magic being this huge kind of kickoff of, you know, this amazing kind of quite grown up, like, sci-fi concept. Mm. 
but instead it's just kind of bubbled underneath as a as a kind of cult favorite i think i think that's actually a very astute point is that it is sandwiched in between 2001 a space odyssey and star wars Hmm. the thing that basically you know i say 2001 a space odyssey is very very important for the science fiction on cinema mainstream movement Mm. as much as the fucking moon landing was it's the nature of Toy Story. Suddenly, yeah, Westerns are out. Stanley and... Kubrick directed them both, right? So that makes sense. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, the the idea that no, just coming back to that again because someone's going to say he has a physics degree. He's he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he knows the moon landing is faked. <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, I studied physics ten years ago. Therefore, the moon landing is not real. It, it takes less than that to convince some dickheads. Anyway, hey, so, that's true. That's true. That's science how we fiction got in this was, whole mess in the first place. <laughs> true, very true. So science fiction was pushing forward, and um, it's the nature of what Toy Story was. Westerns out, space is in, yeah. and then Star Wars changed not only sci-fi but fucking cinema. But Westworld is bang in the middle, and it's very interesting because everything about the movie is half brilliant and half meh. And I think <laughs> that does come down to to Crichton. And not in, a, not in an attack like I was with Goya, mm. but as a, a, an observation, because he is a relatively new director at this point. He's very, mm. rarely, relatively inexperienced. And the stuff he does, yeah, some of it's quite slow motion heavy and usually say boring foot chases and things, but some of it's really quite well done. And I'm like, this is actually quite good. But most of the stuff that's interesting for us as an audience is to remember the, the, the sort of the period of when you watch the movie. So... The idea is, I mean, some of the shots, for example, the, the, when the opening scenes, there's the reflection of the round, ground racing by mm. reflected in these glasses. It's a very anime kind of thing, yeah. I would sort of interpret as. <laughs> um, and it's really fucking cool. Um, and all the sort of future stuff is really, really well directed, really interesting, in my opinion. The Westworld stuff feels flat. And unfortunately, I think that's a slight byproduct because they filmed a lot of it on the, I think one of the last films to be filmed on the MGM sound stages or the back lot or whatever. But the point is, the film is supposed to be wish fulfillment, going to a thing hmm. and um, all the latest technology to recreate the past, but not the real past, not a real West, but recreating the film version of the West, shall we say? Yes, very much mm. so. And so yeah. it emulates something that already looks fucking dated and shit to us. So by extension, the film looks fairly fucking dated and shit. Uh, In- as, as 70s as the first film looks... It also looks very 50s because yeah. West. Precisely, precisely. And, and, and the other tricky thing to remember here is, is that a lot of the advances we just don't notice anymore because, they're, because it's now an incredibly old film. Whereas yes. it feels like the kind of thing where at the time there were a lot of special effects in it that for audiences at the time would be very interesting and very like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. groundbreaking that we just look at and go like, yeah, I've seen seen that before. Like fucking TV. Like I could literally, I could do that in you know my Precisely. back. You know my. I can do that on my phone. Yeah, putting the pixel filter thing. Yeah, is now you literally just do it on Instagram or mm-hmm. fucking Snapchat or whatever it is. Yeah, which yeah. Is like flick over a couple of things and then it will just pixelate everything and it pixelates everything in real time yeah. mm. that you can get a better effect than this <laughs> groundbreaking technology just by pointing it at your fucking cat mm. and just being like, pixel cat, there we go. <laughs> like, your Brenner's about to shoot my cat. Oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah, it's fascinating how far technology has come. And, and I do, you know, we, we do have to kind of touch upon this when we dive far enough back that yes, this is course. a factor. 
But we also talk about this when we talk about films in the 2000s. Mm. I mean, we just talked about fucking Blade, <laughs> and that's full of weird digital blood. And, and I mean, the first yeah. Blade was Stephen Dorff, like, splitting in half and yeah. terrible fucking CGI of his, <laughs> like, blood torso monster thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it does kind of, like, the, the f- pulling, as you mentioned, Tim, like, the pulling the face off, mm. that iconic shot, that really holds up. Some of the models look mm. absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. and the, the set design is really believable as this, you know, as you said, Matt, emulation of the 50s kind of Western thing, because mm-hmm. they're not emulating the real thing. It actually looks like it's from the 50s, and... I don't know if they maybe milk that a bit too much. Like the, the music the with, is a bit yeah. the music is a bit too much in the first one. You're I, like, all right, I we agree. get it. It's 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 based on the West and we <laughs> get it. And yeah. then because the actual soundtrack to the first one is really interesting and it's got these kind of weird digital it, it it's not a traditional score and mm. it's got these weird like electronic beeps and boops and grinding noises and all this kind of weird shit going on in the background that makes it something unique. And then it sounded like oh Okay, then. But again, we, for the audience uh, at the time, that's what you'd expect to see in a western. And then exactly, you get this sort of weird yeah. sci-fi futuristic sound. It's like, oh, now we're not in the western anymore. Now but, I understand. And and now now as a as a modern member of the audience, it's kind of it, it's trite at this point. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, cool, yes. yeah, whatever. Entirely. I've heard parodies of Ennio Morricone for my entire fucking life. <laughs> it's like, I don't care about the next or anything like that. Mm. It's like it goes. Not like, mm, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that it, it did all this interesting stuff in the seventies, and then I did I, I'd heard of Westworld. I had no idea there was a sequel until yeah. I think we started yeah. talking about this podcast. And to to kind of move on to Future World a little bit, it's like they just just take everything interesting from the first one and go, nah. Let's let's keep all the keep all the boring bits. <laughs> I mean, Future World is fascinating because we said, you know, like Westworld as a concept is is really strong. And, you know, that's one of the things that carries through. And I think even people, you know, people who are broadly familiar with it or who know it through the TV show, it's there's a there's a land where there's a, a theme park full of robots that people go to. They pay to have the illusion of living in a kind of cowboy frontier times. Uh, and it's populated by all the other inhabitants of robots and then the robots go wrong and they start killing the guests nice and simple kind of almost an elevator pitch future world comes back it's meant to be i believe like 10 years after the original i thought it was two years is it you only two years yesterday. i don't know i thought it was like two or three years I wasn't, that was that far away uh, from it might, the whole it thing. might be um but it throws in uh cloning hypnosis yeah holograms like it just it gets so messy in terms of the technology that these people are meant to have access to and the kind of the central like metaphor and themes just crumble away because it's just a kitchen sink mess of like stuff being thrown at it i think that that largely comes down to you know we talk about the the central core concept of, of westworld which people would say, yeah, it's about wish fulfillment and fantasy. No, it's ultimately about corporate greed over like anti-science and the idea of a reliance on technology. Not as a negative, but as a question, because you know that's what Crichton tend to do. Mm. And uh, just very, very quick digression. Apparently, the original ending for in the script was that the gunslinger was going to be torn apart on a rack 
Yes. Is that right? I, I yes. heard about this. Yeah, yeah. And it's show it's showing yes. that old technology can defeat new technology or something. That's like the, the just clashing the ju- of like, yes, exactly. The, the a, a medieval a medieval rank mm. destroys the most like, advanced, advanced machine yeah. in the world. Yeah. What yeah. was advanced is now destroying what is exactly. advanced. Exactly. Yeah. But that actually is also true for the ending of the first Terminator film because again that the the press as it were. Mm. Yeah. Crushing the Terminator and things. So we we have these concepts. They exist, but. The the actual you know oh what if the theme park went you know you know the pirates of the Caribbean what if they went wrong and they went oh and tried to kill you and it's like yeah yeah but this isn't about that this is about greed corporate greed um, manipulating scientific advancement for sort of arrogant purposes and let's mm. face it that's the exact same story in Jurassic Park some would argue, argue told better um, I, I will tell you the other thing that it reminds some would argue <laughs> what. Uh, Jurassic Park is fundamentally better than yes. Westworld. Andy. Oh no, I meant as an argument. Uh, oh, okay, okay. For, for fucking hell, <laughs> fucking fucking hell! Don't you, don't you dare! If, if kids now watch Jurassic Park, it's like, oh my god, an interactive CD-ROM. It's like, <laughs> oh what? Interactive CD-ROM is still my favorite. <laughs> What's this old when dated she, bullshit? When she, when she flies through the park in a yeah. Unix system 3D map, door locks. Hell. It's like, I can make a Good fucking Lord. T-Rex on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to just jump in there and say the other thing that Westworld reminded me of when the robots start breaking down uh, was Jaws uh, and uh, <laughs> very much have that uh, uh, COVID relevancy where they're going, well, we can't shut the park down. We'd lose a load of money. Like, it's fine. Yeah. We don't need to get the guests out of here. It's fine. There's only one thing's gone. Well, only two things have. Okay, only three things. Okay, <laughs> only one guest has got stabbed. It's fine. Um, yeah. We're now locked in this room and we can't yeah. get out, but I'm sure it'll be fine because we don't have the percentages to drop. Yeah. We'll also die as well. I mean, the shareholders? Um, <laughs> That's why I think Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, sorry, as much as I don't think it's a good film, poses some interesting Michael Crichton questions about mm. cloning. Mm. Um, and that's why, in theory, Future World could have been very interesting. Um, the, the, the transition from, as you say, uh, <laughs> as is said in the original Westworld, robots. Um, <laughs> the robots are being going crazy. This new world, Future World, um, with its additional two parks, because they've shut down future uh, uh, Westworld, you can't go there. It's yes. all ordered off. But the, the new ones are Spa World. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and Future World, which actually is genuinely an interesting thing. But then yes. it gets, goes down to like hypnosis and cloning and all kinds of things. I'm like, as much as it is that, it's also a kind of a investigative journalist political thriller kind of thing because that's the you know the temperature at that point is people wanting like all the king's men kind of stuff and yeah. you know watergate scandals and etc so it's, it's, that's what people drive people to the cinema as it were if it, it feels but weirdly film... um james bondy as well yes, like you could exactly. totally picture yeah. a james bond plot where it's like oh we've got this uh luxury resort where we invite all world leaders and then we secretly clone them and send out the replacements and kill off the originals yeah even if it's just like a mission possible wearing a mask it's the same fucking mm. thing yeah um, boys so. from brazil um but yeah. it, it, it's amazing because, again, to give Crichton full credit for his direction, the production design looks and feels dated as fuck. It feels very 70s to us. But Future World feels somehow older and more I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they do it because Westworld is 70s as fuck. Yeah. But you kind of get it. And you, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm going in with a like, oh, let it slip or whatever. But for whatever reason, three years later, 
it looks older and I don't know how it does it. Made think, for TV maybe, bullshit. I think because it's trying harder and that there's more emphasis on the, the futuristic-y stuff mm. rather than the, the Western and the medieval and all that kind of stuff mm. in the first one. Mm. This is very much more focused on the, look at this, spacey, cool technology. And, <laughs> and think about like another 70s film. I know we're, we're talking a lot about 70s sci-fi here, but the original Alien... And you look at the the, the CRT yeah, monitors yeah, and all that kind of yeah. stuff, and you're like, oh, God, that looks like shit in 2020. <laughs> but this was, you know, 40 years ago, so you, you let it get away with it. Somehow, it gets worse between the two films, and I don't know, I can't quite explain it. There's just something, it just feels cheaper, it feels crapper Yul Brynner's in it for like 10 seconds yes. yeah. like, and a weird dream it's, sequence it's, oh god oh, the, the weird fucking sexy dream, dream sequence <laughs> the sexy dream <laughs> sequence it's so weird that's our place and, and it had it had twice the budget of the first film I'm like what did you spend this on like what happened I think I can tell you in, in, in two bite sized installments um, the first is Michael Crichton didn't write the script mm. um, and Crichton gets science. Even if he doesn't get science, he gets science fiction. So as I said before, Jurassic Park is like, oh, I can't wait for the dinosaurs. I'm going to see the dinosaurs because you want to see the spectacle. But the really interesting stuff is the thing that Malcolm is saying to the entire film. They're the conversations that stick with you. They're the quotes that stick with you because it's not the paleontologist doubting what they're seeing or trying to survive or the kids exploring the park or even Hammond's ambitions. It's Malcolm what talking you, what about... What you really remember is... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, to a degree, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's shit about chaos, and they, we have a whole scene where we Se- haven't seen sexually any... dripping water on your yeah, hand. Yeah, we haven't seen any just... real dinosaurs at this point, really, other than one scene. It's all about like a fucking butterfly effect and water falling off your hand and variations in your hairs, and you're like, what? And they have a big conversation where they're sitting around a table talking about corporations and so it's the kind of thing that you think this is not entertaining, but fuck me, it is. Anyway, the key reason there is because I say Crichton makes the fiction part of the science fiction obviously really bold and bombastic, but the science part still sounds credible, even if it's not. Um, and he's not involved in Future World at all, as far as I'm aware. Also, point number two, Richard T. Heffron, the director. <laughs> because yeah. he is a TV boy. He, mm. and I'm, I should point out, not a bad TV boy. No. Uh, he's a good director. He did, and he worked on some of the Rock for Fast stuff and uh, North and South with Patrick Swayze. It's not bad. But the thing is, the scope is always television. We talked about this, um, I think, with um, oh, like uh, uh, Zulu Dawn. The idea mm, of sometimes you yeah. have a very David Lean looking scope and it feels big, and then you get someone who comes in and just doesn't know how to articulate that. I mean, the cinemascope look of the, f- of the first film feels like a Western from the 50s. Mm. And the science fiction stuff feels weird enough that it's different and all the angles are quite interesting. This feels like an episode of V, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that sort of thing with the with lizard people invading. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. That could be fine in if, it, if it was the first outing where it's just a weird sci-fi B movie from the 70s, it would be fine. But what it's following doesn't work. And also, you spend a lot of time, rather than making a juxtaposition between old and new and telling some very interesting themes through the story uh, about how, how technology and sensibilities and abuse of things and and reliance upon stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Future World doesn't do that. It talks about, again, journalists going in, snooping around, being replaced. And it's like, this feels more Cold War, which isn't a bad thing. Mm. Again, you said that the James Bond thing, that works in that capacity. But that scope feels much, much bigger than just a corporation is greedy to 
we are going to clone you and replace you and take over the world. That's like, you took a leap there. <laughs> and I don't know if it was the right move. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that like, because it seems, it doesn't, it doesn't really tell us what the Delos company's plans are with the world leaders that it's take, that they're taking over. Mm. Beyond getting them more and more people to come to the theme park, and and with the with the journalists, it, it particularly says like, oh, we need we're going to clone you, so you give us a good review, so more and more people come. And it's like, you know, you could have just taken the money you were investing in the cloning technology and just made the theme park really good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, without being too flippant on the matter, we're now at a point where people with a lot of money are saying, when we get to Mars, we're going to ignore Earth law. And mm. like, what? Well, yeah, because I'm not going to be able to buy, my, buy by the laws of Earth when I'm on Mars and King of Mars. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, okay, fine, that's, that's too complicated. And rather than buying newspapers to just push our political agenda or buying, you know, an entire media conglomerate to push our agenda, what I'm going to do is spend all that money cloning a few reporters. <laughs> I don't think that's how... I mean, yes, okay, some personalities cut through, but that's... That's fucking, to quote, <laughs> Lost Highway. That's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that would explain the existence of people like Alex Jones, at least. <laughs> like, Def- definitely a failed man. clone. Exactly. Yes, yes. He's got to be a failed clone of the Half-baked weird, like, clone. yeah, toady face and his like, <laughs> just wobbly hair and all that. Yeah, yeah. Turn the frogs gay! <laughs> Turn the frickin' frogs gay! Yeah. What a and, psycho. Um, so yes, Beach yeah. World, I get the scope of it. I see what it's trying to do. I think everything about it doesn't have the, uh, let's say the maturity t- to pull it off. And and by that, I simply mean, and I don't mean like, you know, immature being like, you know, it's full of fart jokes. Um, although <laughs> would be a lot funnier. Um, <laughs> live damaging fart jokes. That's, that's uh, her role in um, the fucking Meet the Fockers films and things yeah. like that. <laughs> anyway, so no, I, I think the, the the potential is there, but it's wholly forgettable. It's not nearly as bad as everyone says it is, in my opinion. I think it's got a lot going on that's like, huh, it's a, it's an afternoon viewing I don't give a shit about. It takes a long while to get going. Um, it does, and that's uh, the bit one of the biggest mistakes it makes. Westworld starts with the fucking park. Yeah. Jurassic Park starts with the park to tease you then does yeah. exposition, then big reveal for the park. Bang! Oh my god, dinosaurs. Wonder, etc. as we've covered previously. Future World is burrowing conspiracy, and what I think it's trying to do is get your intrigue, your, oh yeah, because this place is like shut down. But it feels like someone talking about Noel's house party in the day and how <laughs> we've got a blobby world somewhere that's shut down. Do you want to go look at it? It's like, no. No, I couldn't give a toss. I don't care. And I think the fundamental thing is is that even though Future World is supposedly, you know, simulating the future, what it does is far less impressive than the original Westworld. Because yep. the things the things we see are you get to make a couple of robots box, you get to play hologram chess like you're on the Millennium oh, the, Falcon. The, yeah, fucking rock and sock and robots. Jesus Christ. You get to go skiing on Mars, which is just skiing, except the snow is red. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to simulate a rocket ride like you've gone to one of those things in like the fucking pepsi trocadero in 1998 <laughs> and got in one of those motion 4d ride things um so it's just like that's that's not as impressive as having an immersive 
recreation of a past world like yeah it yeah. just fundamentally isn't and and for the t- and you don't the film barely spends any time in there you know mm-hmm. it's more concerned with running around the background which is just looks like a waterworks you know they literally by Dana's character literally says at one point this is about as exciting as a waterworks yeah precisely and the last thing we want is Waterworld, am I right, guys? Hey. That's the worst of all the worlds. I mean, wait until you hear my fix. Um, <laughs> I will say very, very quickly, just for more for top, completion. Top of the bill, Kevin Costner. <laughs> Directing Kevin Costner. Um, <laughs> oh, God, Jesus, no. Co-starring clones of Kevin Costner. Um, <laughs> no, just, 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 just for the sake of completionism and all that sort of stuff, we should point out there was the revived Westworld TV series. It's now in its... Well, yes, mm-hmm. and there's the also season. another TV series. Exactly, Beyond Westworld, which was so bad, apparently. Uh, and it is a sequel to Future World. It yes. continues that <laughs> canon and lasted for three episodes, if I remember correctly. I think they got and apparently five made, a... but they got three in and they got cancelled. They were like Yes, through. apparently yeah. it's a hot pile of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like the worst, the worst of all three of them by a significant margin, apparently. Weirdly enough, no, no real spoilers at this point, hopefully. I was thinking of an idea for an alternate title to my, my Westworld. I was like, Beyond Westworld. Beyond, Beyond Westworld's all right, actually. That's pretty good. And then I thought, it hang Google. on. Hold on. First of all, <laughs> that's why I know it. It fucking exists. I've, I've done that so many times. God damn it. Um, but no, I didn't go with that in the end. But um, they exist. And I do think, if I'm honest... The Westworld TV series is the best version of Westworld. The first season is really, really solid in terms of like a yep. part gone wrong. It does suffer the Jurassic Park. What do we do now? Second series, I really enjoy. Third series is very, very different because it, with the nature of Future World, it should have stepped outside of that and said, what's this world like? We see what the park is like and the technology mm. you have to make these things and the transport to get there. This world must be a really interesting, futuristic sci-fi thing. It must be a statement about things. And you're like, nah. So... Westworld, the TV series, and you see more of the real world, that's what's intriguing, you know? Um, and I'm not going to spoil much of the story. We've done that in the bonus content. Um, <laughs> but there are many discussions to be had about technology mm. then in the 73 film Westworld that are perfectly relevant now because we have actual fucking AI now. Um, and Westworld is doing it now, this new TV series, where it's discussing a what-if scenario. You know, mm. what if we would do this? And it's, but it still drills down on corporate greed over everything, human rights beyond humans, the nature of machine intelligence, yada, 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 yada. And the fact that, you know, what's the first thing we do when we create a robot? We try and fuck it, then we kill it. And then we, we, <laughs> and then we basically make that a park ride experience where you can just go in and fucking kill everything you like. And it's like, wow, we are pretty horrifying. Yeah. And that's, People are the worst, yeah. right, guys? So Ooh. when you said, oh, we're going to be cloning journalists, I'm like, I don't know if that's the story. Yeah, I think it's it's the robots we should be feeding on. <laughs> let's 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 shift shift focus more to the robots. <laughs> Especially when they're like future world, it's like oh, by the way, this entire facility is run by the robots. And like, <laughs> what? They're murdering robots from the last one. It's like <laughs> Jurassic Park Two: The Lost World. We've opened the park again. Don't worry, the raptors are in charge of the rides. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like thank you one one please, <laughs> and the ball rolls up and you get in and the raptor <laughs> But before we get to fixing future world we've got a couple of adverts to throw at you first of all we have the advert for stitcher premium you can listen to some of your favorite shows ad free with stitcher premium plus you get access to stitch originals bonus episodes comedy albums lots of cool things uh we 
genuinely recommend Stitcher Premium. It's, 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 Stitcher's a really good platform. I'm an avid podcast listener and I mm-hmm. do genuinely use Stitcher. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. You can go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and use the promo code SEQUALIZERS. You know how to spell it. You know how to spell it right. It's it's in the episode description. If oh, you yeah. Need to reference. Yeah. And, and you like, get a month written all over the place. <laughs> we have an additional sponsor today, which is State Bags. State Bags make beautiful, well-made, inclusively cool products while using the power of business to give back to shift the narrative around social injustice. For every State Bag purchased, State hand delivers a backpack packed with essential tools for success, to an American child in need, but their commitment goes beyond simply a material donation. State Bags has your back, and part of that commitment is making a difference in local kids' lives. To get you ready for your commutes or wherever you're traveling next, State is offering um, you, our listeners, 15% off their next purchase at statebags.com using the the code POD. That's uh, 15% off your next purchase using the code POD, P-O-D at statebags.com. State bags, they have your back. That's a great tagline for a backpack company. I like that. Um, I also like the idea that they, we, we have, have your, your back. back. It's like, oh, cool. Um, so if I'm, I'm I'm about to go rob this place, you coming with me? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I've got your back, man. i got your yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> You've we, got to put your gun somewhere. You, yeah, you can carry carry anything in those bags. These are quite a cool company that's doing actually a really important thing for, for you know. Yeah, and since a lot of people are struggling right now, I think that's a that's a great thing. And a lot of people need help with school materials and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The fact that a company is going out of their way to help, you know, children in need for, you know, getting the materials and bags and school equipment and all that kind of stuff is a really, really cool thing. So thank you very much for sponsoring us, State Bags. We very much appreciate it. These are also a company I know it's mentioned obviously in the in the in the the copy about Americans in general, but obviously they do ship internationally, this particular company. Yes, so you absolutely. can investigate so cracking on uh before we fix it it's time to look at rotten tomatoes um i am i I, as as not ready as i was for the blade episode (laughs) i have no fucking idea where this is going because as we've discussed westworld is a cult hit but was it well received at the time i have no idea whatsoever (laughs) So it could be really high and people in 1973 fucking love this movie and then it disappeared off the face of the earth mm-hmm. or it disappeared off the face of the earth because nobody cared. <laughs> so I don't know. No, I think that's fair. I think it, like anything, it's a case of you're looking at it with a contemporary lens as well. So yeah. trying to figure it out based on reviews of a time and maybe something some, more recently. Ugh. Some of the reviews are more recently and that's the other thing yeah. as well. I, I wonder if a load of people went back like... As the TV show came out, they went and did like a, hey, here's a review of the movie. Yeah, if you want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you want to learn more about Westworld before the TV show comes out, sure. go and check it out on blah 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 blah. I bet that happens. So there's probably like a bunch of what 2016, 2017 <laughs> reviews out of nowhere, like <laughs> 43 years too late. Mm-hmm. I, um, I mean, I would say I do think Westworld is worth seeing if just to marvel at how much. Young James Brolin looks like modern day Christian Bale. <laughs> Holy shit, right? So I didn't even realise Brolin is that Brolin and it's Josh Brolin's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Until I went and looked him up and I was like, huh, why does he look so much like Christian Bale? <laughs> he doesn't look like Josh Brolin. He looks like Christian Bale. It's really weird. If this was like a a, a Dan Brown shit novel, you'd get a point where um 
Christian Bale's name could be like an anagram for I'm also a Brolin. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was quite weird for me, actually, because I'd just been rewatching uh, series three of the uh, the West Wing. Um, or no, series four. Um, and it's got James Brolin in basically playing kind of George W. Bush in it. Um, Interesting. And uh, so, yeah, I kind of switched from watching that and then suddenly he was there uh, <laughs> about 35 years younger. Yep. So uh, just so we know, we're going to take a guess on Westworld and Future World, as we'll want to do on this show. If you're first time listening to this show, um, we know it's not an accurate gauge. We know it's a percentage and not an aggregate entirely of all the reviews. It's just the... Yeah, the, the, this is a percentage of positive reviews, which means more than half. So 50 out of 100, 5 out of 10, mm. 2.5 out of 5, however you want to word it. Mm. If it goes above that, it is considered, quote, positive by yes. Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> and that counts towards the percentage. And there- so this is not... Say, for example, if if Westworld is a 70%, that doesn't mean that 70%, like the, the average of the scores is 7 out of 10. Yes. That means that 70% of the reviews are considered positive on the more positive scale yeah. of things. It's bullshit and makes no sense. <laughs> and the fact that it exists blows my mind. And that's why I love it. Yeah. We have fun talking about it. Um, so... We're going to do Future World, Westworld. I'm not going to have you guys guess the other three. I'm just going to tell you the three. But uh, the other three? What other three? Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's see where we're going with this. <laughs> what? So first well, as things, in Beyond Westworld, we'll, we'll Westworld, just have to wait and see. Show have to wait and see. Have to wait and see. So first of all, what do you guys think for Westworld? Um, I, I said earlier, it's a tough one. I think. I think it's really tough. I will go. I, 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 do I go bold and pick something after after know? last week's episode where we were like just blown away by the blade reactions? I don't know what the <laughs> oh, fuck. fuck. Don't get me started on those blade. Blade two being a fifty percent can fuck right off. Um, uh, do I play it safe and go fairly middling? I'm worried that I feel that's what I'm going to have to do. I will go. Uh, oh, actually. I will go with the year it came oh, out, seventy three. Okay. Why not? I was going to say sixty three. Was that I your exact too, pick bit for too middle of the road? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Tim, what you got for Westworld? I'm going bold. I think it was well received, Ooh. and I think anything after that has also they've given it praise for the fact that it's been so influential. So I'm going to say eighty five. Okay. 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 Tim, Tim's got the balls this episode. Um, I didn't have the balls to go for something like that. It's fair. It's fair. What do you guys think for future world? <sighs> it's crap, <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's not offensively crap. It's just kind of boring and bland mm. and doesn't really like Muddled. Blade Trinity is is such a huge drop off from the from Blade One and Blade Two, for yeah. example. So many of the sequels we've talked about, you get that classic fifty percent drop off. I don't know if it's that much of a drop-off. I just think it's a bit crap, and people would have thought it was a bit crap <laughs> at the time. But if I remember correctly, it made almost no money. So whether that... Because, like I said, the budget was twice as much, so it was like $2.5 million, mm-hmm. and it made like three or something rubbish. Mm-hmm. Like I remember looking up the, the box office figures not too long ago. Sure. But uh, it's got to be lower. 39. 39, okay. Just a random fucking number out of my head. I get it. Don't know. What's up, Tim? 
Uh, I went higher for the for the good one. I'm going lower for the worst one. Oh, I'm going to say. I like say the boldness, Tim. I like the boldness. Thirty percent. Nice. 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 Fifty percent drop there, Tim. I appreciate that. Okay. Um. Again, I'll tell you the other ones later, rather than mm-hmm. the other ones. I'm so fascinated. It's not that fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Tim has clean sweeped it. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Yes. It's actually quite surprising, if you ask me. Mm. I'm actually quite surprised by these. Westworld currently sits at 87%. Wow. Mm. Now, Good guess, Tim. Well done. That's a little too high for my liking. I think 73 is actually fair. I, I, I agree. Mm. Obviously, yeah. we know how this works. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But yeah, well done, Tim. Future World. I, I agree with this figure. 33%. Okay. Yeah, we we're right in the, we're yeah. right in that ballpark yeah. to be fair. That's definitely. Yeah. It. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. No, I'm not horrified as I was with Blade. <laughs> no. And no, as no, we no. have been with other ones in the past. Especially but... considering the first one is a cult classic. Mm. And yeah. a lot of people who love the people who are going to bother go reviewing that film now are the ones who really like it, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. So, the real nerdy sci-fi magazines <laughs> and all that kind of yes. stuff will be like, yeah, yeah. The other Three Rotten Tomato scores. I'll give you the scores first. Uh, <laughs> we got a guess from the score. Oh no, I was only interested because uh, Westworld got eighty-seven percent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This first one, eighty-seven percent. Okay. Thing number two, eighty-six percent. Right. Thing number three, seventy-four percent. Right. Well, I didn't appreciate or didn't realize Rotten Tomatoes scores whole seasons. Of TV. Mm. Oh, interesting. So that's Westworld that, that... season one, Westworld huh. season two, and Westworld season three. I actually think that's not a bad assessment. 87, <laughs> yeah, 86, yeah. and then 74. It drops 74 in my opinion because it does, does less theme park stuff um, and does more, for lack of a better word, Blade Runner stuff. Mm. Yeah, um, sure. Which a lot of people are going to, ah, it's jumbled, don't like it, whatever. But I think it should have ended at three seasons personally, but that doesn't, that's a thing. Are they carrying, is the plan to carry on? Oh yeah, four is in production, I believe, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, we, we never, I guess we don't know with all the COVID-19 Oh, well, that's, that's very true, that's true. Loads of stuff is just getting cancelled mm. for Yeah, H- it's HBO as well. Oh no, HBO keep things running for quite some time recently. I don't know, Netflix mm. would kill it. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, but RIP Glow, I miss you already. I, I still think Westworld is a very strong series. I think it's very interesting discussion point. There's a lot of potential in there, yeah. as we've talked about the concept alone yeah. and how they've then very much expanded and branched out past yeah. that is, Once is interesting in and of itself. away from the park and start talking about the nature of AI and, you know, digital representation, but also the idea of what it is to be real, that simulacra simulation shit, the Descartes kind of thing. It's like, this is just quite good. And it goes back into the classic Crichton stuff. Corporate greed, wanting to live forever, betrayal, blah, 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 family, shit like that. So, yeah. There you go. That's the that's our Rotten Tomatoes this week. Okay, I thought you were going to do like Jurassic Park, Waterworld. Yes, I could see and your Anaconda there, yeah. or something. <laughs> Anaconda is always a choice. <laughs> um, if in doubt, Anaconda. We said how much potential Westworld has as a concept. Let's see if Matt, you can seize upon that potential. Ooh, can can you capitalize on it, Matt? Michael Crichton had to kill a lot of stuff from his script, like hovercrafts and all things, because he didn't have the budget for it. So I'm going to not have any hovercrafts, unfortunately. I'm sorry. <laughs> or- Fuck it. Infinite budget. All the hovercrafts. Welcome to Hover World. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything yet. Oh. But you have to understand, I... Okay, no. 
here's the thing. This is my second script. I don't usually do this. I usually write a script and I'm happy with it and you, I'm done. You did a me. I did a Jack. Where you basically wrote the whole thing and then had to rewrite <laughs> it again. the whole thing you... and then thought, yeah. I actually prefer, I had a, a sort of worm in my head. I said, I actually like this story better. Fuck. Rewrote the whole thing. The original story had mech suits. This one does not. <laughs> I thought you said Mexicans for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've taken out mech suits. That's so uh, yes, uh, unmat of you. Yeah. I know, I know. Um, so add add more mech suits, and if anything, not enough mech suits. I rewrote it to add more mech suits. If this one turns out to have wrestlers in it as well, then I, I don't know what's going on. We've gone completely into gone. Yeah. Well, like, you guys have included wrestlers in your film so far. Yeah. In the Crow one, yeah. Last week, I had a film that already had a wrestler in it. You took him I out. Took the fuck around. <laughs> Shit, that's a good point. Um, is, maybe that's my secret theme for the th- season is, like, <laughs> I will just remove all the wrestlers from all the films. What, what's your theme for this, le- for this entire season, Jack? Undoing my legacy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Removing the wrestlers. But then I think if, if I'm just willing to get around it for a second, Every single robot is a mech suit. It's fine. Uh, if I put I mean, a human not, brain in it. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Um, so I, I done I done changed a lot. This isn't this isn't one of those things where we've uh, it's not it's not Spider-Man played. Um, but <laughs> not I've, quite as bold and mental. I've thrown as that. out everything from Future World. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So it's, it's one of those pitches. That, that's a, I don't yeah. think there's a single returning member of cast from future world or west world wow okay interesting i've gone off the fucking chain with that's this. very interesting um and i think I, I like to see these kind of pitches and as as silly as my season opener was i'm i'm always more intrigued by the balls to the walls one <laughs> i think some <laughs> of them require just a little bit of a tweak in here or there and, and that's the, that's often the right way to do it but it's not as fun as it. Let's be honest. <laughs> when you get to just completely write something from from scratch and just go go mad and yes. just like fuck it. Returning cast, no one. <laughs> fuck the lot of them. Yeah. Returning director, no. Piss off. <laughs> Returning from the original film, no. Also no. No. Fred, clean slate. I mean, I'm intrigued already. And listeners, once again, this whole season we're going in completely blind so me and tim have not read this pitch ahead of time yep. we don't know matt's director we don't know matt's title ahead of time we are gonna experience matt's theme park i assume theme park there's a presumption from my anything <laughs> as you do as well we'll be going on this ride together welcome to park <laughs> um. that's still one of my favorite little <laughs> clips welcome to park <laughs> Um, yeah, I make I make all the robots move in herds. Uh, okay, so it, the release year is uh, 2033. Very presumptuous of it. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. The 536th wave of COVID-19. Is, <laughs> and we've been taken over by robots. Lo- lockdown world. <laughs> That's painful. Um, <laughs> and accurate. So first things first, I'm not making this a 70s movie. Okay. I'm making an 80s movie. Okay. Interesting. And I might be fucking shooting myself in the foot a little bit. I'm releasing it in 1983. You may say, why am I shooting myself in the foot? Because Blade Runner came out the year before and bombed. 
and Star Wars is coming out this year, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so, oh yeah, already people have a conception of what a people science fiction is and what robots don't like are. androids. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm already taking the piss. But again, it's a case of making something good, not making something maybe commercially so successful. If they don't get it, yeah. they'll get it eventually. Like they're running the thing. That's not. That's not the reason we pitch these things. Is Correct. what would be with the most commercially successful alternative sequel? It's what would be the most fun for us to write and cast and come up with, yeah. and what do we think feels right? So, yeah. fuck marketing, fuck commercial success. It's all about the it's all about the good pitch, a good sequel produced. So, uh, 1983 is my release year. I have a new director, Peter Weir, Australian director Peter Weir. Interesting. So. At this point, he's fairly unknown on the on the scene, as it were. He did a, his most notable thing is Gallipoli with Mel Gibson. Gallipoli is a great film. I think it's it's very. How can I phrase? It's not shot for TV because it's very big, but it's 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 in Australia. It's, Australia is like one of their biggest movies that everyone sort of groups in for a while. It's a World War One movie. They showed me to me in in high school and before I moved to Norwich. And I was really intrigued by it. It's just these young kids like, I'll be great to join the war. I can't sign up and I'll put myself on my, my fake beard. I'll cut up in my hair off and I've got a moustache now. Great. Oh, we'll be, where are we being sent? Are we going to kind of fight the Germans? No, you're going to fucking Egypt or Turkey or something. I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, it's an adventure. And they're like, what about you? Oh, I'm really fast. I, I run really fast back in the outback. Oh, great. Thanks, fine. You can do great running across the fucking no man's land then. Mm-hmm. And there'd be runners back and forth with messages and things. And so it's a really well done film. It has scale and scope with what it has to work with, which again is one of the key reasons he's on my list. By the way, Peter Weir went on to have a huge career. He did Dead Poet Society with uh, Robin Williams, did The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, and did Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. Big, very different movies, all saying an emotional, personal thing. Some of them having huge technological advancements. I mean, Master and Commander is such an underrated movie in terms of how they made that film. Mm. Um, so I think he's a fantastic, <laughs> such an arrogant thing to say, he's a fantastic <laughs> choice. But that's why I chose him specifically, because yeah. in, in the 80s, you have lots of choices. and You could have gone, you know, oh, go John Carpenter or something. It's like, no, 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 no. I think he would feel appropriate. I'm intrigued already. Good, good. Of all, uh, if you'd have given me a hundred choices of director and told me like 1983, I'm never a pick Pete Weir in a million years. <laughs> so I'm, I'm intrigued already. I think it's a good choice. I think it's an interesting choice. It's a very mat choice, mm, but it's an interesting choice. I, I, I should point out Peter Weir was my director of my previous one as well. Oh, interesting. That's okay. But okay. the cast were all different. That's what's right. All, yeah. Because the that's, story that's was so different, the cast wouldn't was fit. The, was the title different as well? And uh, what's kind of changed between the two pitches? Without spoiling anything. Sure. The pitches are totally right. All the stories are different. Everything was different. It, um, uh, my thing was basically doing a bit of a Jurassic Park and like going back to the park and things. Um, that is not this at all. I wanted to make something less 70s and more 80s. And I think that was a very... And, and, and uh, the, the, you have to remember the scene and the landscape of the 80s. Were you still doing an 83? Yes, um, yes, I think we're still doing 83 because of Okay, there. right. So yeah. still Peter Weir in 83. That's correct. But yeah. everything else has changed. That's correct. Right. Um, okay. Because the, we're entering sort of like Reagan era stuff and, the, and America changes basically. So suddenly corporate greed is like, again, to, to, to misquote Wall Street, greed is good. <laughs> it's like, you know. Mm-hmm. No, th- greed is bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the, the cast, the story, everything changed to something different basically. So. I have one, two, three, four, five members of cast to talk about. 
and I'll whip through them nice and quick for you. Some people go, oh, I know that name. I'll be going, who the fuck is that? So I'll give you some overviews. Billy! <laughs> Good old Bill. Um, Billy, um, I should point out, these aren't small picks. This isn't going to be like a sort of like, much of the same like Peter Fonda, for example, and Blythe Danner. These are fucking A-list actors and things yeah. like that. So I'm, I'm having to court them in with something serious. So Billy, played by Paul Newman. Mm. Paul Newman at this point is a relatively older man. He did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid years ago. He did The Sting. He did The Verdict the year before, um, as we mentioned in our best of years kind of thing. Um, he goes on to do Color of Money and Road to Perdition and Cars and bits and pieces. He, he's a very cantankerous old man, kind of thing. Mm. And he, but he was always a fun-loving guy like with Cool Hand Luke and stuff. And this is in his, in the 80s career, he's got, his hair's gone gray and he's, you know, a, a bit more grumpier in his older role. And he doesn't, he's not fighting it, as it were. He's falling into the wily old man kind of thing role quite well. So this cast, I should point out, is mostly older actors. We'll get back to that why in a minute. Because I think that's important mm -hmm. for the for the West, for the mm -hmm. American West. It's a thing of the past. So it, it means Pe more to older people than the youth. People people looking weathered as well. That's entirely it. And think, yes, you're you <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, let the kids have their space wars. We're doing this. Um, uh, in the role of Arizona, we have Candace Bergen. Um she was in Starting Over. She got a lot of acclaim for starting over. The year before she was in Gandhi and had a BAFTA nomination. Maybe she got a BAFTA win. I think it was just a nomination. Um, and then she goes on to be in like Murphy Brown on TV and Miss Congeniality. And Tim and I were talking earlier about the Sweet Home Alabama and all that stuff. But the, the idea that Candace Bergman is, she's been in stuff basically. Um, but she's mostly known for TV. I think Boston Legal as well. I think she was in one of those. She's known for, for television stuff. Um, we have the role of uh, Garrett, played by Clint Eastwood. Never heard. <laughs> yeah, this is the same year as Sudden Impact. I'm not going to say who Clint okay. Eastwood is because it's fucking Clint Eastwood, guys. <laughs> and does he have? Does he have many associated? Like, would he fit with a western kind of stuff? Well, he's more I known for his crime things, but I yeah. think he might have the look for a western. I, can't, I, I don't know. It's a bold. It's a bold choice. I think so. I think so. I assume you're just sticking a cowboy hat in him and being yeah. like, "Well, that's the." Uh... I'm not going to lie. I wrote down Clint Eastwood. And then I said, what kind of Western name is that? <laughs> Cowboy name Eastwood? Um, no, yes, yeah, so Clint Eastwood uh, as Garrett. Um, the role of Cody on Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn, people might go, who the fuck is that? He is in An American Werewolf in London a couple of years before. He's After Hours. I fucking love Griffin Dunn. Good man. He's got, hey. he's got some good, uh, I would describe him as having Matau energy. He, mm, <laughs> interesting. He's I got... find I, I would agree with that. Yeah, he 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 ends up being a, he's he's known for, most known for his directing this day. He directed Practical Magic with uh, Sandra Bullock and um, a great film. And stuff. It is, um, and he's got this really sort of squirrely energy in the eighties. That sort of wisecracking, keen, quick to impress. So he's going to stand out from all these uh, more veteran actors and things. Clearly accomplished in his own right, but you know, if it was a western, he'd be a rookie in that regard. And then finally, in terms of the main cast, we have Bonnie, Claudia Cardinale. So she's an Italian actor. And really? She I was, would never have guessed. Yeah, no. She was in The Claudia Leopard. Claudia Cardinale. <laughs> she was in The Leopard, <laughs> The Pink Panther, and most importantly, Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, and Fitzcarraldo as well. Again, 1982, I want to say. Um, now, she fell out of the idea of the Hollywood system. She said, 
I don't want to do that shit. So when she ended up doing like, you know, after this film, effectively, she did like Henry the Fourth and uh, Claretta, um, which is the story of Mussolini's mistress and stuff. And she's very, very acclaimed in, in Italy and stuff. But she said, I don't want to be in the Hollywood system. I don't like it as a filmmaking process, mm. um, which again is perfectly fine. But I think with someone like Peter Weir, he could say like, yeah, but I'm an Australian. I can coax him. We're not doing that kind of thing. It's fine. And <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah. And I want somebody who's going to be, you know, has had Western experience, is a little bit older, still has a lot of power, still has a lot to offer in terms of that thing. And, and, and again, a different experience. I, th- I think that would be very interesting. So, um, yeah, she, she's, she's one of those ones I go, her, but I mm. might have some difficulty getting her on board, but I don't think it'd be too difficult. Um, so then my, my, my five main cast members, as it were, I should point out, I almost cast, well, not almost, but my previous cast for Arizona, I wanted someone younger and I went with, uh, Sean Young. And then I said, oh, wow. wait, I can't do that. She's in Blade <laughs> Runner the year before and Dune yep. the year after. That's quite yep. a lot. And also <laughs> two robots. <laughs> She'd go mad. Um, so yes, she did. She did. Yeah. So not that. So anyway. Um, and my film is called West Worldwide. I like it. It's, cl- it's clever. I don't know if it's clever, necessarily, but thank you. I assume um, the soundtrack is done by a very, very, very young Pitbull. <laughs> Mr. West Worldwide. Yes. Uh, no, it's done by a very young Trent Reznor. You fucking had it in your ass. <laughs> Same thing? Oh, my God, no. Uh, no, I actually don't have anybody to, to, to compose this specifically. Yeah, so if you guys are nice and ready for the okay. pitch. I am I'm intrigued and ready. Okay. The film opens by establishing that 10 years have passed since the events of Westworld. In that time, Dallas had been bought out by entrepreneur Dirk Garrett. He does have a first name. I thought I gave him a first name. <laughs> I mean, Dirk's a great first name. Yeah. Classic 70s slash 80s first name. <laughs> I've bought you out, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett was able to convince the public that he could safely reopen the park and the grand event is set to take place in six months' time. We are then introduced to Billy, a security operations advisor, who was fired from Delos when he brought up concerns that the androids wouldn't be safe. To cope with taking a payoff, he has descended into semi-functional alcoholism and suffers nightmares of the people who died. Facing financial ruin, Billy accepts a contract with Garrett to look over the facility before it opens. Upon arrival, Billy is partnered with the man who is set to be head of security, Cody. Billy immediately clashes with Cody's enthusiasm and zeal. Garrett goes over the four areas of the park and leaves the two to carry on. At that moment, the park's relations officer, Arizona, says she is taking the new trackless monorail train on a quick test run before countless other similar units will shuttle guests to and from the park. Inspecting the full-scale model, Billy questions what the central dome is beneath the operations building only for Cody to calmly state it's Garrett's personal workshop. Accessing said workshop, Garrett runs around the large complex when he realises something is amiss. Storming into the control room, Garrett summons Billy and Cody, then wants to review the access log for his chamber. Learning the facility was last used by Arizona, Garrett learns of her unscheduled use of the train. The control team reluctantly confess they cannot get through to her via the normal communications and can't seem to track her. Garrett then orders Billy and his team to pursue and retrieve Arizona and his property. While Billy heads out, Garrett confesses to his scientists that he is worried that the human contingent may not be up to the task, and instructs his team to reprogram several androids to pursue them too, 
Units from medieval world and Roman world are available, but Garrett wants to test the newly constructed Shogun world androids. I mean, don't we all? That sounds that sounds great. Which are then unleashed after minor protests from the science team. I hope, like in like in Future World, they are basically like photocopied into existence in a big tub. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Imagine that they're kind of printed like a uh, Tron. Yeah. <laughs> Scanned and like 3D printed that way. Sign me up for some Shogun World robots. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for some Shogun androids. <laughs> I need that in my life. Thanks to a tip-off from an old colleague in the police, Billy is able to get the last sighting of the vehicle and they intercept it. Several cars chase the high-speed train which accelerates toward a lake at the foot of a mountain. Knowing that they will lose them in the unforgiving terrain if they cannot get to the train before it reaches the water, Billy launches his car off the bank and onto the train itself, crashing into the final carriage. The other pursuing vehicles watch as the weight of the car pulls it into the water with Billy inside. Cody is shocked to see the train come to a complete stop, hovering above the water as a woman jumps into the water and pulls the unconscious Billy out before the train sets off again. Cody reports his position. See? Hovercraft. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, hover train craft, yeah. yeah. Inside the train, Billy comes to, muttering that they should have let him die. Because he don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> As he is roused, he meets the handful of people on the train. A total of ten people, along with Arizona, driving the train, and Bonnie, the woman who pulled him from the water. He starts to explain they are all being pursued by Garrett. Bonnie says that he is essentially their hostage, and to avoid talking until he's recovered. The train comes to a stop to assess the repairs to the end carriage. Seizing the opportunity, Billy makes a break for the cab and attempts to hijack the train, only to get into a fight with Arizona and eventually stand down when he realizes he has no idea how to operate the vehicle. Which again, is that, I think Newman can sell that, but also is that classic, hey, get out of the way, lady, I'm going to smash you in the face. And Oh, I have no idea how to use any of this because I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there was a lot of, uh, you dames don't know anything in Future World. Uh, yep. Definitely. Yep. <laughs> It is decided that the caboose is in an acceptable state, but the crew are suddenly confronted by a troop of individuals in samurai armour, stepping out of the wood, swords drawn. The train crew draw their guns, and Bonnie liaises with them, and asks how they found the train. Billy watches from the train, telling Arizona that they are the new model android, and aren't to be trusted, but Arizona simply responds, I'd be careful who you say that to around here, and that while they have saved him from drowning, he can get off here and wait for assistance. The samurai offer their support, explaining they were conscripted to hunt down the missing androids and kill Arizona, but in a show of solidarity for their cause, want to join them. Bonnie asks how the samurai were able to track them, and they detail how all of the units emit a certain frequency. The humans don't know of it, but these new model of androids are able to sense it. With this, Bonnie welcomes them. The train gets underway, but several helicopters surround the train. Garrett arrives with Cody having led the way and given a second chance to redeem himself, or he'll lose his job. Seeing the arrival of Garrett's team, the Shogun World androids turn on the escapees and a fight ensues. I assume, much like my blade pitch, it's a cool <laughs> fight ensues. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Cool action here. Yeah. Cody's car appears and launches into the open slash busted carriage, but while trying to board the train, he attacks one of the samurai and is badly wounded. Furious, Garrett takes his helicopter and attempts to ground the train before seeing Bonnie trying to break loose the connection between the carriages. The two share a brief moment of quiet in the madness before a samurai kills her and she is lost under the train. Damn. The wrecked carriage uncouples, damaging Garrett's helicopter and destroying the other pursuit craft. This is going to hopefully be a quite a, the big thing. of it. the big shocking moment. Yeah, it's the thing That's where the, the, 
the air, the air, the air death in uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy. Yeah, but the, the carriage itself will go like a bit like um, the flip in Dark Knight Rises. It goes up into the air, smacks mm. one helicopter out of the sky, and damages another one, etc. So, quite, cool. quite the visual madness. Speeding away, Cody is taken hostage by the group, and realizing his errors, agrees to help. The crew want to keep Cody tied up, but Billy vouches for the young officer. Billy then speaks with Arizona and explains that Bonnie is dead. Distraught, Arizona accelerates the train beyond safe limits, only to be talked down by the train's remaining passengers. Resolved, she keeps her eyes on the horizon, tears welling in her eyes. Through flashback, we learn that Bonnie was created by Garrett in the image of his own late wife. And more than that, he used parts of his late wife's brain. Roast, dude. Mech suit. <laughs> mech suit. You finally put a fucking a wife mech in there. Matt's <laughs> ultimate, ultimate dream. <laughs> But she rejected the programming, so he locked her away. Again, Matt's dream. <laughs> With this helicopter repairable, Garrett finally realizes where they're heading. As night falls, the train arrives at a concrete compound deep in the mountains. The crew break into the facility and search around. Arizona explains this is a secondary site that Delos used in the early days. Billy loosely remembers talk of a Site B, but never saw it. The group are shocked to find that the research facility is outdated and derelict, rather than the Eden they thought it could be. Billy surveys the older models and chuckles to himself about the hands being the only thing to differentiate androids from humans. Obviously, they've fixed that problem. That's not a thing anymore. Arizona then confesses that she too is an android. Billy is shocked as she is an employee of the company and doesn't understand how that would be possible. She explains she was constructed in secret by Bonnie and sees her actions as liberation. Billy then asks about the other androids, the ones that they killed. Arizona glibly shrugs, making comparison to world wars, that while humans are the same species, some are too indoctrinated to their own cause. She states that there's nothing particularly special about the units she's busted out, other than that they have the potential to create more, but one day she hopes for a united world. Powering up the old equipment, Cody relays that Garrett's forces are incoming in significantly higher numbers. Billy admits that from what he's seen, Garrett's new operations are second to none, and they won't be able to put up a credible fight. Cody states that there is one way. They could destroy the facility, using the older models to give the impression the mission was a success. Billy, looking at the equipment, states it cannot be done remotely, but volunteers to set it off. Looking through the old tech, Arizona gets to work on remodelling the androids' faces, but realises they need time that can't be spared. Hearing this, Cody sneaks off and signals Garrett. Taking the train... Cody leads the fleet away, keeping them distracted for the precious requisite minutes before being killed. Garrett's helicopter sets down and the group storm the facility, only to find it empty. In the control room, Billy watches a monitor before detonating the facility. The film ends with the various shots of crowds in San Francisco, with the audience left to wonder if the androids made it out and successfully infiltrated our society, or not. The end! Interesting. Interesting. Not what I was expecting. Mm. A big like tr train heist, but not <laughs> movie. Which is kind <laughs> of. I wanted to do a western without kind doing western a western. <laughs> and a train heist makes. In the same way that Back to the Future Part Three. How did you do a western? Train heist. It's like train robbery. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's, it yeah. came to me because the whole idea of um, um, the great train robbery from. I know it's a different thing for Michael Crichton, but I thought, mm. oh yeah. Um, and I didn't want, as I said, my previous thing, my original script was going to be like a whole, like going back to the park and reopening it. And even like the idea of us, you know, people going around and reassessing it 
it all just felt very either Jurassic Park or Jurassic Park sequels that didn't really work. So if I said, oh, I do this, it's like, they did that in Jurassic Park Lost World and it didn't work. Yeah, I know. Or they did this and this, it, it, it doesn't really hit the impact. I think continuing the story of the robots, the robots, the androids outside of the park and having their own consciousness and their own thing is very much akin to the stuff in the TV mm. series. It's the, yes, it's the breakout. A, a lot more, especially with the, the ending of like, did they infiltrate our society or not? Which is Which 80s is, as fuck, in my opinion. Well, yeah. And also exactly how the TV show goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. They end up breaking out and going into the real world. Mm -hmm. And even something like a film we've talked about, and, yeah. Is the uh, everybody drink moment ex machina? They're <laughs> <laughs> very, Where true, very the true. The android breaks out, and you know, you're left to kind of wonder, like, oh, does she survive in society? Does she go on a murderous rampage? Who knows? Maybe she just slips away quietly and yeah. is just a nice member of you know, contributing member of society now. Who knows? Mm. Um, I like the ambiguous ending, I like that kind of I feel like that's kind of where you have to as soon as the androids get out. As soon as the robots are unleashed, mm -hmm. that you you kind of have to do that. Do they make it to society or not? Mm. Kind of thing, and it's not quite like a like a ham fisty clumsy one like Battlestar Galactica does, which I mm. don't like the ending of that show. But I do love that show again. <laughs> ro robots who don't know they're robots and all that kind of mm. stuff. But yeah, it it it's it's interesting. It's good. It's nothing of what I was expecting mm. at all, which is. A nice surprise. Um, I feel like like the entire film is on a train. Basically, am I, am I wrong about that? I feel, <laughs> no, that's I feel not. Like... That's not wrong. I think I, I, okay. I, it's yeah. it's uh, in the same way that the last Jedi is a chase. Um, this is a chase. Tim mentioned the fact that in in Westworld, it's a very boring foot chase. So I wanted another chase. I wanted that 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 um, uh, that tension, that that energy to the chase, but I wanted it to be an actual exciting thing. With future vehicles, and you get a, you don't see the future world until like the final shots of France, San Francisco. But I wanted to give you more of a hint of what that world might look like, where you you know when they're flying to Westworld in the first place, and you have got the fucking wallpapered weird <laughs> um, <laughs> vehicles and stuff, and it's all very futuristic. Mm. I wanted to have a hint more of that. Just you see a bit more, a bit more. You get these sort of layers falling away. And that's why again, Westworld wide, the idea of um, basically infiltration the mm. thing. And yes, you're right. It is. It is a um, uh, it's 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 a chase film, so it's basically set largely on a train. And again, that to me feels like a western. Um, well, a type of western, shall we say? Yeah. Um, you either do the thing where it's a sheriff's town and someone comes in, or they go off with a posse to find something. Or again, it's a a, a big part of westerns was the advent of the train, uh, the invention of the train. So I felt that was an appropriate thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think you might miss out on something a little bit by just having it confined to that one kind of location. Um, I think it might be it might make for a, a slightly more, uh, especially because you've got these these four worlds, which obviously some of which we've seen previously in the in the West yes. World, um, and then plus the Shogun World one in this. It might be more interesting if to have them like start out on the train and then have that get wrecked or whatever at one point or they have to abandon it and then switch to like horseback or some other vehicle sure, and sure. kind of just mix up slightly no i think that's the way that that's they're on because i think mm -hmm. otherwise you are just stuck in and I, trying to kind of picture it in my brain i was mm. i was flashing back to those kind of very 
70s looking like hovercrafts from the start of Westworld and thinking mm. if the entire thing was set on here, I think I'd find it kind of d- dull um, yeah, because you want to see the interesting environments that they've created for these for these things. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's perfectly fair. I think in the same way, as weird as this sounds, Star, Star Wars being released in 1977 and Empire Strikes Back in 1983, mm. when you see the two different types of ships that they have in those films. Obviously, yes, the Millennium Falcon is Millennium Falcon, mm. but the change between 70s and 80s architecture and that sort of thing, subtle, but it's there. Mm. Um, and I think similarly, it wouldn't look just like that. It would be, you know, yeah. it's a, a time, a period of time has passed. It's new. It's a new wave thing. It's, it's very 80s futuristic, which might be fucking hideous, obviously. Mm. But at the time, <laughs> it would have been very cool. Um, obviously, Tron would have come out a year before mm. uh, and would have been quite, not necessarily influential, but there'd been an awareness of like, this is what, you know, a lot of future ideas of neon and that kind of stuff. Mm. But you're right. I think we can definitely um, probably put another, not whole act, but definitely a lot more in there to build up a bit of the visuals of it mm. to make it more visually. I mean, as, especially as you've got a big moment where a chunk of the train gets wrecked. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. having them switch to a different mode of transport just kind of well, sh- I was thinking shakes about it up the tr- a bit more of a description of a train in a, in a drive. Okay, the problem with these things, as we've mentioned before, this is like still like one and a half thousand word pitch and we're trying yeah. to get down to a thousand words. So hard to do with making it, you know, uh, uh, detailed enough to actually, mm. you know, a comprehensive thing. Um, but I, I had initially had the idea that the train would be a little bit more like something from Snowpiercer mm. in the sense that it would be representative of the, each character would be representative of a different four worlds, as it were. That's kind of what I imagined. Mm, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's a very, it's like a grand. Yes. In fact, you mentioned like a monorail. You get that instant kind of futuristic vibe about mm. it. But yeah, I imagine you would get this huge hundred carriage long <laughs> kind of <laughs> over the top <laughs> super sci-fi <laughs> thing. And that's kind of what I was imagining. Maybe, spoilers for Snowpiercer, without the eating of the babies and stuff. <laughs> I but, mean... <laughs> Robot robots can eat babies. Um, I, I do like that you have Shogun Blade Runners, by the way. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, androids so sent to destroy the androids. Here's the thing. Like, oh. I because did one Matt gonna map put mech suits and make it Asian. Um, but I originally wasn't <laughs> going to include the samurai. Again, in the TV series of Westworld, there is mm. a samurai world. I think it's called or yeah. Shogun world. Mm. And it's like, yeah, cool. But that's not in the original films. And I'm like, okay. And I had different ideas for what I might have gone with. Uh, the future one was actually a really thing I was thinking about. Or a, a Victorian sort of steampunky kind of thing was one I was actually going for. I changed it to Shogun because, first of all, they didn't have any guns. So you have to use the subterfuge mm. of like, oh no, we're on your side. It's like, are you? Fuck no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also the idea of the fact that on TV couple of years ago shogun had yeah, just been that, done i was just checking when did when yeah. did shogun the tv series have? Exactly. it was 1980 yeah yeah and the book was already huge the tv series was huge there was a big revival sort of stuff mm. um the film with um uh robert mitchum yakas and things like that there's mm. that's lots of uh, sort of building interest mm. and i wanted to sort of tap into that nice and nice and fast and obviously with like um ran and stuff on the horizon and things you know i wanted it to be like you know part of that sort of zeitgeist and influence um but again it's like anything it's, again if i was to say what's my new idea for a star wars film oh well okay a, a, a huge star destroyer chases a ship it's like that doesn't sound very interesting it's like 
it'll be fine. Some people will hate it. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the point. I think it, it's it, the fact that in Delos, you have, oh, sorry, Delos, in, in, in Westworld, you do have the, uh, the scope and landscape of the West, as it were. You've got mm. these, these sprawling ranges. Um, and then you've got these, these facilities. It's only really two different places with a hint, a hint of the Roman world and medieval world. Yeah. Um, but, um, I'd like to think there's enough we can do to make it interesting tech wise with like helicopters and all that sort of bits and pieces and just things that be interesting. But I think you're right. I think it needs to be the summary with the site B stuff. That facility mm. is very rushed, but that's going to look and feel like the seventies. That's going to look and feel like future world with the giant grids with fucking light buttons that don't make any <laughs> yeah. sense and like what the fuck in a way it would remind me of terminator 3 oh yeah okay. that old facility yeah and it's like what the fuck is oh, this oh yeah um, well, that's a sequelizer's throwback right yeah. there jesus christ one thing that uh future world does have going for it is yes. that big fucking door that they have to <laughs> open up door. to get on to the spaceship <laughs> like, like fucking tron like uh, tron exactly <laughs> Um, I can assure you there will be a big door somewhere in Excellent. this. Excellent, good. Yeah. The, oh, then we're fine. No more questions, Your Honor. We have a big door. The door, the, the, the like the central chamber that he has in the Garrett <laughs> has in the thing. It's like, what's this? Oh, that's his. That's his private chambers. What's in there? I don't know. But it's a big fucking door to get in. <laughs> that's how they get out so easily. I, I like the casting. I think that's really solid. I really like the cast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Again, I'm going with the old idea of western veterans in an almost non-western setting so in a way you have that strange muscle memory acquired where you're like this it's paul newman on a train with a fucking revolver i mean <laughs> i'm feeling butch cassidy in the sundance kid I, I, it's a western but it's a space train i'm, I'm you know it's astro mm. trail it's from fucking um transformers um and again clint eastwood chasing him down it, it, it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh shit, Paul Newman and Clitzwood, two, two classic westerns drawn together and never... I had, I had an idea initially uh, in the original pitch uh, to have John Wayne involved. Ooh. Um, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can have John Wayne and then he's killed off in like the first five minutes. <laughs> hilarious. It's a doddering old robot that should have been shut down long ago. Exactly. But they also. The oh, we've seen was, that old gunslinger. There's yeah. another old gunslinger lying around <laughs> here somewhere. See, the problem was originally I was like, oh, I'll, I'll definitely work it around that, and then I realized I was like, okay, well, I do want this to be 80s, and he did die in 79, <laughs> so that ain't gonna happen. Um, but even like your Brenner, I thought I, I don't want to bring anyone back. Mm. I don't. It's one of those things like I get it, but I, if it's not a flashback, there's no point because I don't know why you like like this model was highly problematic. I know we'll just bring it back. <laughs> You weren't, weren't tempted to have a weird erotic dream uh, sequence featuring Yul Brynner then? Oh, sorry, I forgot there's a scene at the end. Um, it's <laughs> all a weird erotic dream. <laughs> um, it was no. all an erotic dream. No. Wow. Even the relationship where, like, you know, you'd have the flashback to um, to Garrett and his wife, to, to what was, not, not Bonnie herself, but this other, this Bonnie proto version would have a sort of weird haze to it, It'd be very weird, and it would be very uncomfortable. Like, I don't really, yeah. So yeah, the 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 Bonnie Garrett thing obviously echoes the stuff from Ford and his family dynamic, quote yes. unquote, yes. in the TV show with him trying to rebuild his family and all that kind of stuff. Do do we know how Bonnie like escapes from being locked up? Well, this thing Bonnie is a very advanced model because she's part human and part things, and it's she 
it isn't functioning very well in that regard. So she is also a much more intelligent machine. I've obviously I've glozed over it in the pitch, sure. but she yeah. is a much more intelligent machine, <clears throat> which means she is able to almost subvert the programming, for lack of a better word, hack into the system and create this one robot in secret, which is Arizona, who is her go-between. So that's how she gets out. It's the inside man. She creates the inside man, as it were, which is why Arizona kind of sees her as a mother figure, sort of. It's yeah. it's all very, you know, obviously age is a weird thing because of robots. But, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, one bit I wanted to kind of touch on, the, the kind of um, quite near the start when um, uh, Billy goes into Garrett's kind of personal workshop um, and then realizes that something's amiss. What what is what is happening? No, Gar- Garrett goes in there. And oh, okay. Because yeah, he goes into workshop. Garrett runs around realizing he's like something's missing, and they all get summoned to the control room. Ah, right. Okay, so he's he's realized that Bonnie and the others have have vanished. Precisely. At that point. Yeah. So it, okay. they they talk about it from looking at the map and say, like, okay, well, here's and that's why you get the introduction. Here's Roman world. Oh, that's still an old classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to do that sort of thing. Oh, and we've installed a new gladiatorial air arena. Again, it's all padded out and things, and all very cool sounding. You want to see more of that? You don't get any of it. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, oh, we've got you know the medieval world now has this jousting tournament. Oh, that's cool, cool. And then it has um. So we could even say like, oh, we're talking about that with dragons. We don't go into fantasy with it and we haven't got the technology yet, but we might get, who knows, six months to go, that kind of thing. And then he says, well, Shogun World, that's going to be a huge hit. We're looking forward to that one. Blah, blah. Um, much more high risk, dangerous, blah. What's this? What's this thing? Oh, that's, that's his own personal workshop. Garrett specifically built the thing back up from the ground. It's not the same facility in that regard. Then you cut to said thing and he's running around. You don't really know what it is. It's this, it looks like a mansion underground basically because it's basically a prison for this mm. woman. And then he's like, bang, right? No, right. We got to go now. And it's like, I don't understand what's wrong. And it's like, listen, you just, and so for, for the half the movie, all we know is something is missing mm. and you don't know what it is until halfway through that. In fact, it's this weird wife thing. And the fact that his just hubris in the sense that he blatantly accidentally kills his wife's surrogate. And she's mm. happy to try and die and escape and get out and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So right at the end, um, we briefly touched on like Arizona plans to remodel the other androids to kind of cover things up. Is she like able to control the other androids and all that kind of stuff? So, so she's obviously she's specially programmed by Bonnie. Is is she also a, like a advanced model that she can then kind yeah, of yeah? Like she's kind of like a Dolores. Redo she's um, stuff. Yeah, she is the. I mean, she is the Dolores. Of precisely. This piece, precisely. She, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah, she's the analogy there i suppose yeah or maybe even Maeve in the same capacity it's like i'm a higher yeah. functioning unit and i can do this mm. and these particular androids i've taken with me have been for lack of a better word woke They're, they've been <laughs> awakened from the dream of awoken, being a robot yeah. and 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 it given sentinel reminds me a lot of the game detroit become human oh There's yes a lot of yes yeah. awakening of other androids in that thing with a couple of the storylines there um so with her remodeling the androids what was the plan there was she like making them look like they weren't the ones that were with them, but like other ones. So like they, as you said, they like, so it looks like they'd blown it up. Yeah. So themselves. within the facility, you'd have lots of old bits of bodies and things. And if they, you know, yeah. they look like the older models. So as if nothing yes. happened, if anyone did go through the facility, even though let's face it, Garrett's taken out with everything. It wouldn't be, no one's really going to chalk it up to let's now go through everything. Make sure the bodies are all that. It's like, no, there's enough human bodies and Android bits. that doesn't, it doesn't matter. Everything's inc- and also human flesh being incinerated. It's yeah, blah blah blah. So the idea is that these androids are 
practically unrecognizable from human because there's a whole like oh the palms of the hands in in Westworld. Mm. That's such a weird touch <laughs> touch point. Um, um, as as if a, the palm of the hand is the most difficult part of the human body yeah. to get right. It's like <laughs> eyeballs and stuff. Yes, like they they, yes. ca- they kind of glow and shimmer like they do in Blade Runner. You get that like yeah. Oh, you get the reflection mm. of the the light. I wanted to talk eyes. about that, but I thought no, it's too Blade Runnery. I mean, uh, uh, but yes, that's definitely in it. It it is very Blade Runner in the original, and. It's a weird, obviously, it predates Blade Runner, but you know what I mean. And it's a weird thing to be like, "Why well, you can tell by the palms. Like, why, why that specifically? I, I don't know. I know we're going back to the old film, but like, I feel like there should be some other weird, like, maybe it could be the Blade Runner shimmer in the eye thing or something yeah. like that. Well, that's, that's what I was saying, that the idea that they, these have been created for more immersion so they won't have that palm nonsense. And the only thing you really have is like, well, how do you know they're robots? Because they're robots. It's like, crap. <laughs> Fantastic, you don't know. But then equally with the samurai saying, no, we, we, we are a higher functioning model. We can see you're emanating this frequency. And more importantly, that, that nature of subdiffusion consciousness enough to realize that they've been drafted by you know, the human element to fight the, these people. And they turn on in the end anyway. But it's more the idea that, are you going to tell the humans that you can do this? Fuck no. I'm not telling mm. that. And yeah. then that, just enough Crichton-esque questions of, Oh, that's interesting. Not digging into it too much, not making it the central focus of the film. So with regards to uh, Arizona's face fits, shall we say, um, that's very much the idea of like, oh, we thought this would be, a, a, a site B would be like a haven for us to live in or something. And it's the kind of idea like, what was your plan exactly? It's like, we don't know. Bonnie lived in this fucking cage. <laughs> we don't know what the outside was like. We just kind of had an, a, a, an inkling there was a record of this. And you get there and like, oh, fuck, it didn't work out. Again, kind of like Terminator 3. Hmm. And then it was the idea of like, what do we do? What do we do? And then the supercomputer does a bit of calculation and says, well, we'll just have to disguise ourselves and go hide amongst you and infiltrate mm-hmm. you. And, you know, maybe replicate ourselves in secret. Who knows? It's like, well, how do we do that? Because they know what they're looking for. Not if we just change our faces because humans work on the face. Mm. I, w- I would have maybe liked a bit more of that. Oh, like okay. we, I mean, we, we referenced Mission Impossible earlier, having ah, like the, okay, okay. putting the mask on and taking the mask off thing. Because mm. I think the iconic shot from that first one is the the removal of the face. Mm. And as you've mentioned to him, you like see the lines, like the seams around his face mm. and that kind of stuff. I'd almost like to see that, not sure replicated, but that kind of technology where almost where they're like face swapping yeah. and able to like... Oh, now he is a looks like one of the security guards, and he has access to this thing and whatever. And the fact that they are using the androids as members of staff, mm. and some of them are some of them are self aware, some of them aren't, and that kind of thing, I think would be maybe an interesting way to play on that. Well, maybe as part of the initial in this one, they're not members of staff. I thought Arizona is, yeah, he? but they don't know she's a robot. Uh-huh. I know, but she she knows she is. Right? Oh yes, sorry, yes, my apologies. Yes, she, <laughs> yeah, she is, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. I thought you meant they were conscripting them specifically. Sorry, no, no, no. Yes, no, but I mean, like they could then dress up as the members of staff, and yes, if if, Ar- if Arizona is self aware and able to reprogram sorry, them yes, yes, in yes, the yes. in the remodeling and all that well, kind of stuff. Yeah, we can do that. I and mean, if we can actually just have a breakout scene, basically, if that's what I mean, having yeah, yeah, that yeah, breakout yeah, yeah. where she kind of the the initial leaving on the monorail mm. all that kind of stuff and getting the initial units out there i feel like we kind of leave the facility quite quickly and then the rest of the film is on the train and as tim said having having that single kind of plane of action and that being the train for so long with a couple of bits and pieces in between having that initial having like a bigger not actually action piece but a bigger set piece of mm. 
maybe some some exfiltration of models and in, an infiltration through mm. through that and having it like oh remember the security team and they give them like a little wink and you're like ah, that's a nice little yeah it does when you like you just see a seam and they kind of like push their face just <laughs> back on a little bit like, or something like that yeah yeah it doesn't have to be action it can be tension you know kind of exactly exactly yes yeah i, I would definitely have that i think that also yeah. adds to the whole westworld as terminator this is terminator 2 with the mm. changing skin and the different looking so i mean not, not literally like a liquid robot but the idea of no. you know the, the nature of infiltration and it also adds a nice um uh foreshadowing and bookending to they could be anyone um just to get out that's that's, that's what i was thinking the, the fact that it ties back into the remodeling at the end and like it, it's not quite that it could be you <laughs> 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 that's a bit far it's not gone matrix like, yeah. yeah yeah exactly but having that moment where like well maybe mm. your wife your brother your <laughs> sister have you checked their skin seams recently <laughs> it's the uh it's the public enemies thing the michael Mann movie it's like local everybody look left shrunk everybody look right shrunk yeah these people could be here and literally sitting in the middle is, is dillinger um yeah, no, I, th- I like that. I think that we, again, as we've always said before, we try and keep these pictures down because, especially me, in the past, I have written nothing has beaten my Matrix pitch at five odd thousand words. Maybe the <laughs> the Fantastic Beast trilogy came fucking close. But the point is that you do lose a few things to just get it down, so we're not just yeah, talking for hours and hours and hours. But I do like that a lot. I like those inclusions and amendments, and I think we can definitely do that and make a very solid film. Hopefully, nice. I think it'd be a very 80s cult film. I think it still mm. wouldn't be a huge... Even with Paul Newman <laughs> and Clint Eastwood, yeah. it'd be like the kind of thing like, did you know they were in this movie with robots? It's like, no. And really, <laughs> did you know Yul Brenner was in a movie with robots? What, a King Wait, and I there's guy? A, there's, a sequ- there's a sequel to Westworld. Huh, okay. <laughs> when was that? Oh, a year after Blade Runner, something like that? Oh, uh, right, okay. 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my original cast, as I remember, I had, I had Kurt Russell in it, and I... Oh, I dropped him and I was like, I can't. I, he's not old enough and Western enough to make any of this work, and mm. it can't be young enough. Not Western enough. Got to wait till he's Tombstone. Seen his hair and beard and the way he he's, wears yeah. that giant hat. That's not. That's not Western enough. Uh, yeah. Got to wait to the nineties. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yep. Then he's moustached up and then hateful eight and bone tomahawk. So I was gonna say, get some sweet moustache going on. Yeah. If we did it now, we wouldn't because Westworld's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, so that's my fix. And hopefully, um, okay, first of all, hopefully you've enjoyed listeners. Hopefully, uh, Stuart, our executive producer who has picked this, has enjoyed it. If you want to discuss Future World or West Worldwide, I'm not not sure what the the cadence of that is. West West Worldwide. West Worldwide. Welcome to Park. Is is it all one word? I put it as one word because West West World is one word, even though it shouldn't be one word. West World's a weird one. West West. Is it three words? One word? Who knows? I mean, it's three syllables. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to debate and discuss Matt's pitch or discuss how you think Westworld or Future World is better than we think it is, <laughs> uh, enough people. you can contact us on social media. We are Sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the usual places on social media. And you can also find us on our Discord, which is linked in a pinned tweet at the top of our Twitter, and also linked at the top of our website, which is sequelizers.com. Also on the website, merchandise, Yay. our shop. You can get Ooh. t-shirts and posters, and people are requesting mugs and a few other things, and 
pins and a, a few other bits and pieces. We're working on it. Don't worry. Mech suits. Your, uh, uh, mech suits. Mostly mech suits. That's all we're working on. So we can, just so we can take our faces off and like wear each other's faces and swap <laughs> roles. Yeah. Matt didn't seem so keen on that. No, apparently. just mech suit. I want to be in a mech suit. I want you wearing my fucking face. Jesus. <laughs> It's a slippery slope, Matthew. Oh. It's a slip. So you just start spending Patreon money on mech suits it's, and becomes meat suits and it all goes horribly uh, wrong. Bloody hell. You can find all of that good stuff at sequelizers.com, the shop, the Discord, the Patreon, the social media links, all the different apps and podcast things you could want. There's links to Spotify, Google, all that kind of stuff. Places we'd love you to review us if you want to go and check us out on whatever podcast listening app of choice you have. You can find all the necessary links in one place on our website. If you'd like to follow me on social media, I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. And uh, since it's in November, I'm doing Movember, so you can come and check out my slowly growing mustache <laughs> and uh, com compare it to the usually well trim and, and clean shaven Tim and the grandeur of mustachioed Matthew <laughs> over there. I'll be somewhere in between. Some 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 sort of fluffy attempt in between <laughs> Matt's twiddly face defining facial hair. I say you grow it until next November, and it's oh. the most intense fucking thing ever. You're like <laughs> Nietzsche or some shit. I'll, 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 I'll catch you up and just have this big twiddly thing. I think Emma would absolutely hate that. So yeah, that, that's Scarrett would hate it too for all the fucking avatars. <laughs> <laughs> to redo all the avatars <laughs> me and my mustache yeah. um so yeah you can see my my face being updated daily with my facial hair growth throughout this month and uh yeah a lot, lots of other me ranting about wrestling and video games mostly <laughs> matt if they want to discuss westworld future world west worldwide mr worldwide or, <laughs> or water world with you <laughs> How can they do that on the social media? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on all the various social medias, Instagram, Twitter, etc. You can go to also the theraidrighthand.co.uk, read my reviews. You can go to cheeseman.com and see the things that I make, films and uh, web series and the like, you know, back when we could do those things. We will again soon when the world is less wank, but <laughs> for now, we can't. Tim, if you were a robot, um, what colour would your hair be and why? Uh it would consistently change because it would be... Uh, ah, the Ramona Flowers option. <laughs> it, it would be lots of fibre optic cables that I could channel light through, like a Christmas Ooh, tree. I fucking love that answer. That's, that's, that's robot. That's good. That's, that's the Tim answer right <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, yes, you can come uh, Turing test me or Voight Kampf me uh, on Twitter, <laughs> trivia underscore lad. Uh, that's where I do all my nonsense on the internet. Apart from the nonsense that is sequelizers season seven yeah well with all that out of the way thank you again for your pick Stuart. thank you for listening everybody and we'll be back next week continuing season seven and fixing another bad sequel robot success <laughs> 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 <laughs>